Good afternoon. We're so glad that you're with us today. My name is Bill Drips, and I'm an elder here at uh, Grace Fellowship Church. This week, we are continuing in a three-part sermon series on what if your children walk away from the faith. And I hope you did get an outline. It's uh, got a lot of good verses on it, and it'll hopefully make it easier to follow. If you still need one, I think they have some on the table back there. Here's the roadmap. Last week, I talked about the root problem, deception. We also talked about God's solution, redemption. Today, I'm going to talk about a key issue for us to address, and that's wisdom. Next Sunday, we'll go through an example of someone whose child did walk away. So last week we talked about how God regards us as his children whom he wants to raise to full maturity. He wants us to pattern our child raising after the pattern he uses to raise his children. What this means is that child raising is not some esoteric field that requires many years of study before you can do it. What this means is that child raising is simply making disciples of our children. All the Bible says is relevant to making disciples, so all the Bible says is relevant to raising godly children. Children may be little, they may be immature, but they are people. It sounds amazing, doesn't it? Sometimes you forget that. But um, they are people, they need salvation, and they need to become disciples. In giving us his redemption through his son, as revealed in his word, God has won the battle against Satan's deception. Still, he gives us effective tools to work with in our role of bearing witness and giving him glory. I don't know about you, but I am very grateful that the Lord reached down and grabbed a hold of me. I don't understand why I came to Christ. It doesn't make any sense to me, except that God, by his spirit, decided to take me. And I am so glad. If I can do anything that helps bear witness, that helps give him glory, I really want to do that. I'm not very good at it, but I'm trying to get better. He gives us wisdom so that we can effectively combat Satan's lies. If deception is what's broken, wisdom is our WD-40 in duct tape. You know what I mean by that? Yeah. I, actually, uh, I talked to a guy that uh, fixes uh, jets for the Air Force. He was uh, a, a, a sergeant in the Air Force and actually f- worked on the planes. And the three things they carried in their toolboxes were actually bailing wire and duct tape and uh, WD-40. And you might be amazed, but they actually fix jet engines with bailing wire sometimes. If they don't have the part and you got to hold it in place, you use what works, right? So wisdom is RWD-40 and duct tape. You'll have to work on the, duct, the bailing wire part. Wisdom is seeing things as God sees them. He is the truth. So uh, however he thinks it, it is. Do you ever wonder why E equals MC squared? Well, it's because God was sitting there one day and said, yeah, E equals MC squared, kazam, and it happened. Um, It's a different degree of power than we are used to dealing with. 
But if he thinks it, that makes it so. We rely on his wisdom so that even though we don't know everything, we can distinguish between truth and falsehood, wisdom and foolishness. Yes, come on up. You can join right in. To give me an illustration of this, uh, one of our children was, uh, was very young. Uh, they all started talking early, um, some earlier than others, and this one started real early, barely using sentences. And she was in a situation where there was another child who was pitching a fit, basically exhibiting his foolishness for all the world to see. And needless to say, his uh, mother was embarrassed. And and uh, so naturally, our child looked up at Bonnie and said, if his mommy would just spank him, he would behave. <laughs> our child's understanding was immature. Perhaps that child just had a tooth that was coming in. But our child recognized right from wrong. Our child knew that what she was seeing was not okay. Here was a small child who was wise beyond her years because of God's revelation. Foolishness like this example is all around us. You don't have to look very far to to see it. Proverbs 22.15 says, Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it from him. And as we saw in Genesis, that's where folly got bound up in our hearts when we were first deceived. And even though those children are lovely and we just love them and they are so cute, you just want to squeeze them to death, right? But to never, never forget that according to the scriptures, folly is bound up in all our hearts. And that's the problem we have to deal with. Psalm 119 and uh, 98 through 11 says, Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies. For it is ever with me. I have more understanding than my teachers, for your meditations are my testimony. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. The key to maturity is not age. It's the wisdom found in God's word. I have seen some children who are more mature than most adults. And so really what we're talking about is that process of becoming wise and godly. People that grow up in age and don't actually mature, that's a tragedy. That's a tragedy. And typically where we find most of those people is in prison. So let's dive into our topic of using wisdom as a tool against deception. Number one, be wise in friendship. Godly friends help us to know that we are on course. 1 John chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ purifies us from all sin. So if we are with godly friends in fellowship with other Christians and our lives are open to them and their lives are open to us, that gives us some assurance that we, that we are on basically on track. We determine what is true by what God says, but we use godly friends to guide us. Individually, we are susceptible to deception. But as a body, we can hope we won't all be deceived at the same time. 
we should look especially to godly people. This is not a majority vote. So godly friends help us to know that we are in course. Why be wise in friendship? It's a key to staying on course. It helps us and our children to combat the deception that lives all around us. So godly friends help us to know we're on course. Wise friends help us to become wise. 1 Corinthians 15.33, do not be misled. Bad company ruins good morals. Now, it's interesting here. Paul is actually quoting from a Greek pagan prophet, Meander, or a poet, Meander. But it was a common saying in those days, and so he just picked up on a common saying and used that because they would recognize it and it would communicate well. Still, it's true. Paul put it in Scripture. Bad company corrupts good morals. And who here has not seen that happen? Who here has not had that happen to them? As you got in with the wrong bunch and all of a sudden you were well on the road to the wrong place. We see others going the wrong way and just like Adam in Genesis 3, we go along with them, right? What was Adam's motivation for, for eating the fruit? Well, Eve gave it to him and said it was good. <laughs> so he said, oh yeah, sure thing, honey. So wise friends help us become wise. Bad company corrupts good morals. Proverbs 13.20 Walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffer harms. When we hang out with the good guys, we also want to be a good guy. Have you never noticed that? When you're around people that just really want to go do the right thing, you feel like you want to go do the right thing too? It's amazing how that works. So why be wise in friendship? Number, yeah, well, I have it in my notes here as letter A. I guess on yours it's number one. Uh, but number one helps us, it helps us to stay on course. Number two, it also helps us to become wise. But now we're in letter, excuse me, in number three, we learn some reasons for caution. We need to have some cautions about friendship. Generally speaking, the world is not friends with God. In James 4, verse 4, Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? You have learned to be on your guard as you get to know people, haven't you? Do you ever just open yourself up to strangers without getting to know them a little bit and figure out who they are and where they're coming from? Yeah, you probably learned real quick on the playground that that was not a good idea. <clears throat> do your children know how to do that? Do your children know how to be friendly but on guard until they have gotten to know people? I certainly hope that's one thing that you're helping them. The, the world is not friends with God. And then assess why people want your friendship. In Proverbs fourteen twenty, the poor are shunned even by their neighbors, but the rich have many friends. Do you want friends who are only friends because they want your money? <laughs> Most people wouldn't actually even call those kind of people friends, would they? I don't think so. 
So you talk, do you talk with your children about this regularly? Are they thinking about why this person wants to be friends with me? And is it a good idea? And where is this thing going? Many people are unreliable. That's Proverbs 18, 24. One who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. We've all learned to, uh, to test this. How do you like a friend that proves unreliable? They don't, they don't feel like a friend, do they? That's because they're not. They may say, yes, 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 but if they act, no, no, no. Have your children learned how to do this? Have your children learned how to think about this? They will learn how when you talk with them about it, when you think through it with them. And then finally, Proverbs twenty-two, twenty-four: Do not make friends with a hot-tempered person. Do not associate with one easily angered. You should all know this by now. Have you instructed your children? Have you worked with them so that they know this? I'm going to give some examples of this as, as we get into it a little bit later. But in number one and number two, we saw a couple of advantages of wise friends. In number three, we saw four cautions. Uh, I won't read them again, but I, and in, in now in number four, I'm going to talk about how to be a good friend, how to be a good friend. So we, we learn how, we learn that good friends are good, wise friends are good. Uh, we've learned how to be careful about it. And now we're going to learn a few things about how to be a good friend. It's not just about getting good friends. Friendships are always developing. Friends change over time. I'm sure anyone here that's uh, uh, um, past the stage of elementary school has had friends that are not no longer around and have, have moved on. Friends change over time. Are you talking with your children about one influence they are having on their friends and what influence their friends are having on them? Proverbs 16:24. A perverse person stirs up conflict and gossip separates close friends. Anybody ever seen that happen? Sure, we've all seen it. Would you know it if that was happening with your kids? Do you know what their friends are telling them and that they're trying to assimilate into their minds? <clears throat> it's a good thing to know what they're talking to their friends about, how their friends are talking to them. It was a real shock for us when we first found some neighborhood friends essentially stirring up conflict with our kids. That was not a happy thought. Proverbs 22.11 one who loves a pure heart and who speaks with grace will have the king for a friend. It is so important to help your children with this, to have a pure heart and to speak with grace. Uh, it's something that, that, uh, that I really wish my folks had helped me more with, uh, to just learn how to speak graciously. One illustration is that... Uh, when, when our kids were small, we had rules for our yard. And we talked a lot with our kids about what those rules were. 
And we talked with the neighborhood kids about what was loud and what wasn't. So we communicated with our kids. We also communicated with the neighborhood kids. If they wanted to play in our yard, we were delighted to have them. But this was the rules. And it took a little while, but uh, we set the example by talking and then encouraging them to talk. So one day, I'm out under the car listening. I'm out, on the, I'm out working under the car. And I'm listening to what's going on out there among the kids. And it actually wasn't any of our kids involved at this point. But it was one of the neighbor kids and a new kid that we had not seen before. And so you always wonder how this is going to go along. And this, this neighborhood kid was someone who had gone along with our rules but didn't really agree with them. Um, and so anyway, the new kid, he's using bad language. You know, and that's one of the rules. We don't allow cussing. That's it, right? And his, his, his language is not just a, you know, a, a gosh darn and that sort of thing. It's the full rip it out thing. And, uh, so this neighborhood girl says to him, says, you can't talk like that in this yard. And he says, oh yeah, I talk all I want, you know? All attitude, right? Teenager at grade three. <laughs> So the neighborhood uh, girl turns to him, and uh, and she turns and she says, "You won't say that after Mr. Drips talks to you." <laughs> right on. <laughs> so we, the the summary there is: set an example by showing your kids how to appeal graciously to their friends and encouraging them to do so. So you set the example by doing it yourself. You make sure that you're aware of what's going on out there. And then as, as incidents come up, you step your kids um, uh, through how to do that. Um, I remember one time where we were having particular difficulties with kids getting along with each other. And uh, I actually got out How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie and started reading that to them. Actually, they, they didn't like that book so much that they, learned, they, started, they told me everything was fine after that. <laughs> so all of this is well and good. Everybody wants their kids to have friends. I remember being alone at the end of the seesaw when I was a kid. And nobody wanted to come seesaw with me. I was always one of the biggest kids in my class, and and that, that meant that nobody else could. I, and yeah, I wasn't any good to seesaw with. <laughs> nobody wants that lonely feeling. Nobody wants that for their kids. But this whole issue of friendships and how they develop is far more than just avoiding that lonely feeling. Who your child is friends with will likely determine who they marry. What they're learning now is how to form relationships. They're learning how to decide who to be friends with. They're deciding what, um, what kind of person they want to be with. If they learn this when they're young, when you're there and you can have an influence on them, it'll stick with them. And nine times out of ten, they'll make a real good choice when they marry. The advice is often given to marry your best friend. The Huffington Post recently had an article about a, a big scientific study that people that marry someone they're good friends with do better. 
I was relieved to see they had not spent American taxpayer dollars on that. (laughs) But the question is not, did you marry your best friend? But this best friend you married, is is that person a wise and godly friend? If you do that, things are looking a lot better. So could this be relevant to choosing a spouse? Certainly. Proverbs 12, 4. An excellent wife is the crown of her husband, and she brings she who brings shame is like rottenness to his bones. An excellent wife is the crown of her husband, and she who brings shame is like a crown in his bones. <clears throat> If, you're, if your child could end up in a disastrous marriage, what can you do? If you help them develop good friendship patterns now, they would likely choose an excellent spouse. Don't wait until they are old enough for marriage to work on this. That is going to be way too late. Way too late. The time to start on that is now. So we've seen the value of good friends. We've heard some cautions about friends. We've seen that wise and good friendships lead to wise and good marriages. Now let's look at a couple of other areas of wisdom. Be wise in character. Diligence. Colossians 3, 23 and 24. Whatever you work, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Whenever we would ask our kids to do anything, it was always a great opportunity to talk to them about work and diligence. Uh, some of you have been to my house, and you know in the backyard there we have a gazebo. And some of you may even know that uh, that I basically built that thing. What you not may not know is that I had three little helpers. And uh, we would get out there and we'd work on it. And one of the things we would talk about is diligence. But it wasn't all about diligence. It was about making it fun. And one of the things we talked about is how much fun this gazebo was going to be. And at every, every stage we went in building this, we tried to figure out how to have fun. So one of the things I did was I dug a deep hole in the ground so that the thing would not blow away. And I probably went to overkill on that. Because <laughs> when the tornado comes through, I think that gazebo is still going to be there. <clears throat> It's, a, it's actually four feet in the ground, so I think it's going to stay. So as we're digging this hole in the ground, and, and you know, if you want to f- put a thing that's four by four in the ground, you've got to dig the hole six by six. So anyway, it's, it's, it's a pretty significant hole. So we're having fun digging this hole, and one of, one of our girls thinks that maybe she can jump over this hole. And, of course, her mom is just dying at this thought and so we got out there we got that hole dug and I told her when she dug it she could jump it and she did we went through every step as to how to do that and talk on I don't know how old she was but she was some kind of little and she jumped right over that thing I, I was truly amazed we survived I was there to catch her but 
So diligence, work on it together. The other thing is, as, as with the gazebos started going up, they all started getting ideas as to rewards they could have. So one of the big things they wanted to do was get out on the roof. Uh, Bonnie had to go inside when this one happened. But we got up there on the roof, and, um, you know, it's really not all that high. And I'm kind of up there looking around, yeah, this is okay, come on up. And there... <laughs> but we had fun. And we, lit, we did it together. And you can make these things great fun. And you should. So building the gazebo, make it fun. And learning diligence. Colossians 3, 23 and 24. We talked about servanthood. In uh, Matthew 20, 25 through 28, Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, I'm sure that your children don't have this problem. But our children also have often had disputes about who would be, who would get the toy or who would go first. Has that ever happened? And so this is what we would do. We would, we had had to memorize uh, part of this verse, particularly the part about whoever wants to be first must be last. And, uh, and all that sort of thing must be your servant. And so we could turn to them. We've reviewed that passage regularly. We reviewed what it meant. And we could turn to them and ask, okay, who wants to be first and who wants to be last? And you could see it going on in their heads. And we would talk about how God likes the servant. God really appreciates the servant. And we would help step them through thinking about how to serve each other. Um, and it was amazing how well that worked. It took lots of time, and it took lots of work, but it worked. Bonnie gets most of the credit for that one. So be wise in character. And diligence and servanthood are just two uh, significant things to work on. There is a whole lot more in the Scripture that you can work on. I just picked those out as examples. But then let's talk about being wise in our application. We've talked about being wise in friendship, being wise in character, being wise in application. Deuteronomy 6, 6 and 7. And these words which I command you this day shall be upon your heart. And you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. When and where should you instruct your children? All the time and everywhere. Now, last week I told my good, my best story on that, and that was uh, the uh, the drunks outside of Dairy Queen, and the way the uh, the kids sat in the car there and watched like hawks as that was happening, and all of the tremendous good opportunities that that gave us to talk about the follies of getting drunk. They had seen that example right there in front of them. If you're paying attention, God arranges many, many instances like that in ordinary, everyday life to talk about Him and His Word. 
and how to instruct your children. Often we are told that a key principle of discipling is the with him principle. Do you know where that comes from? It comes from Jesus and the 12 apostles. Because if you remember, he appointed 12 to be with him and to be sent out to preach. But the first thing they were appointed to do was to be with Jesus. And that's a key element in discipling. If you're not with somebody, if you're not sharing life together, the impact is going to be superficial. So the first thing you've got to do is be with your kids. And when you are with them, you talk about everyday life and what's happening and why you're doing what you're doing. You need to listen well, draw out their hearts. And this is probably something that, uh, uh, that I, I wish my, my own mother had done more often. Now, my mom was real good about giving me lots of instruction. And what happens is when somebody gives lots of instruction on and on and on like that, after a while it becomes part of the background noise, and you don't actually pay attention anymore. Well, the, one of the keys for that is to listen well. Draw out their hearts. Proverbs 20, verse 5. The purpose in a man's mind is, is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. And we need to understand what's happening inside of our children's hearts. And we need to draw it out. Now, you guys may have figured out that, that I like to study history. And uh, I've, I've read a few books on that. And uh, back in the, the days when, when our kids were young, Bonnie's folks lived out in Illinois. And so a couple times in the year, we'd dr- jump in the van and we'd drive out to Illinois. It wasn't too bad when the speed limit was higher. But when they lowered that speed limit to 55, that was a 17-hour trip. Oh, Painful. So one of the things we did to make it more survivable was to get some books that we could listen to. And they, they had books on tape, and so we would get those, and we would listen to them. Now, when the kids were awake in the car, we'd typically listen to something that they would like. Um, <clears throat> then as they, as they got a little older, and we'd, we'd listen to, to more adult books. I remember once when the kids were a little older, we, we listened to a book on tape called The Hot Zone. And it was about an Ebola outbreak outside of Washington, D.C. And it's actually a, a, a true story. It happened in Reston, Virginia. It actually didn't get out into the populace, but, uh, yes, it got very dicey there. And uh, so this, the writer of this book was really a good writer. <laughs> I mean, you were there. And as we're driving in the last few miles into Illinois, the kids are in the back saying, Daddy, go slower, go slower. <laughs> they wanted to make sure we finished that one. But the illustration of drawing out their hearts and, and doing the, the uh, talking them everywhere and all the time is particularly about a Civil War book uh, that, that I listened to. And it's very much an adult book. And uh, I actually thought all the kids were asleep. And so we're driving along, and it's about George McClellan and his uh, uh, early Civil War generalship. Now, probably most of you don't know about General McClellan. Uh, Lincoln accused him of having the slows. 
Some people get the runs, right? McClellan had the slows. <laughs> and uh, um, he, he actually built this, uh, this tremendous army, the Army of the Potomac, was easily the best of the Civil War armies, but then he wouldn't use it. <clears throat> and uh, so the, the, the book is talking about some of the frustration that Lincoln had of dealing with him. And we got to the place where we have to turn the tape over. And uh, out of the back comes, Daddy, I am so frustrated with McClellan. <laughs> and I thought, What? <laughs> they were not only awake, they were listening. They understood what that was being said. And we just had a, a great time talking about, like, why that was and what was going on there. And just unexpected opportunities to talk to our kids. So be wise in our applications. Everywhere and all the time. Talk to your kids. We are not to be gods to our children. Rather, we are to steward their hearts because they really belong to God. Psalm 127, 3 and 4. Lo, sons are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the sons of one's youth. See, God gives us children, and Bonnie likes to use this illustration, that our children are like an arrow with a bow, that you draw them close and then you fire them out into the world. And we need to remember that. Our children are not ours to own. God has given us the responsibility of raising them to serve him. These precious little ones have not been born into a world of safety and security. You don't have much time. Prepare them well. <clears throat> now, there's a little postscript here. You won't always get it right. I remember one time uh, one of the neighborhood kids was um, um, out in the backyard, and he was misbehaving. And um, I was getting really frustrated with this kid. And finally, he just went over the line that I had set up in my mind. And I went busting out the back door, and I explained things to him in no uncertain terms. <clears throat> and after, after I got done with that, uh, that angry outburst, and uh, thought about it for a while, I realized that I needed to apologize. Because going out there and, you know, reading him the riot act, which he thoroughly deserved, was actually the wrong thing to do. And um, it was difficult, but uh, I did apologize. And one of my kids didn't think I needed to apologize. And it was because this kid was being so bad. And you know what? I can't think of a better time and opportunity to talk about what Jesus said about getting the log out of your own eye so you can help someone else to get this, this or getting this, yeah, speck out of your own eye so you can get the log out of whatever. I forget which way that goes. <laughs> so I needed, to, I needed to deal with my own issues. And you know what? That also is teaching your kids. You, you, the thing that's so difficult for your kids is not the how to handle it when they get it right. What they need to know more than anything else is how to handle it when they get it wrong. And that is just a fantastic time to open yourself up and let them see as you work through 
at what you do at that point. That's probably more important uh, than anything else you could do. It's also a lot harder. It's also a lot harder. Well, we've talked about uh, being wise in friendship, and we've talked about the importance of that, how friends help us become wise and how they help us stay on course. We need to be careful. We need to be a good friend. leads to good marriages. We need to be wise in character. We need to be wise in application if we're going to raise godly kids. We need to pull them close to our hearts, but then we need to remember we're firing them out into a world that is not safe. Let's pray. Oh, Father, you have been so good to us, and we praise your name. What a privilege it is to have these little ones to care for and to... uh, and to raise. And Father, I can't imagine a better way for us to learn what it's like uh, to be your sons and daughters than to have the responsibility for raising these small ones. Thank you for this privilege. Help us, Father, to be good examples. And we pray in your son's name. Amen. Please rise. Thank you.